0: Welcome back to the Trans Narrative Podcast. I'm Caroline Penny, and today, Aria Lackey, Athena Promacus, and Lucy Balzano meet Jesse Gender. Jesse Earle is a journalist, writer, filmmaker, YouTuber, and trans activist. She's best known for her work as Jesse Gender on YouTube and the streaming service Nebula. She has written for GameStop, The Advocate, Out Magazine, Inverse Rotten Tomatoes, and a web series for Microsoft GameStop and The Advocate. She's currently writing her first sci fi film and we had the pleasure of meeting her today. Hey everyone, welcome to the Trans Narrative Podcast, where we shift the trans narrative to more inclusive and representative space. With an emphasis on accessibility, intersectionality, inclusion, diversity, and equity, we explore a variety of topics related to the queer community. And by building empathetic bonds through shared conversation and meaningful discourse, we are able to elevate often marginalized voices. This is Trans Narrative Podcast. Okay, everyone, I'm so excited.
1: All right, here we go. Welcome to the Trans Narrative Podcast. I'm your host, Ari Lackey. I am filling in for Caroline today as the main host. And I'm joined today with Lucy Balsano and Athena Promakis. And our very special guest, uh, we have all the way from parentheses, Star Trek reference, <laughs> Jesse Gender. <laughs> Hello.
2: We have to hello. say the the world. What was the world again? Janai. Uh, All Gen- the way from Janai, Jesse. Janai. Jan- See if we can pick it up. <laughs> I'll
3: take it. Well, hello. Thank you for having me. Oh my yeah. god, I'm like trying to think what world I would say. Uh, like Trill would probably be the best world like Star Trek world for me mm-hmm. to come from. You say yeah. Trill
2: over uh, Janai?
3: Oh yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, I mean, I like I like the Janai, but they have the whole, like, like conversion therapy nonsense going on there, and it's like, uh mm. I don't Good know point. if I'm cool with that. They have the weird sci-fi there. conversion therapy stuff, so, like, yeah, screw th- I I love I love individuals in the Janai. Their, their home world sounds awful and dystopian. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's very nice to meet you. Welcome. Nice to
3: meet you, and nice to meet everyone here. Good to see y'all. Good to Hi. meet you, Jeff. So, um, soft
1: introductions before we get started proper. Uh, this is Lucy,
3: gesturing the right way. Lucy, Lucy Balzano.
2: Hello, Jesse. Hi, nice to meet you. Can I call you Jesse? Is that okay?
3: No, you cannot. How dare you use my name? I am offended and hurt. (laughs) No, of course you can.
1: (laughs) Uh, Athena Promakis, am I still pronouncing your last name correctly?
4: Yep. It's It's just a handle for this, so, yep. Gotcha. Hi. Hey, jesse is it a handle of alcohol <laughs> no it's just a way that i can you know manage interactions make sure that it's, it means on the front line so it means something to me
3: oh hell yeah I... I love that
1: i love that and uh caroline penny that's
0: me hi nice to be oh yeah hi jesse it's so nice to have you here on the trans narrative podcast
3: yeah i'm excited to be here thank you for having me this is this is gonna be fun Uh, absolutely it's a nice way to nice way to end out the this week because it's been you know rough obviously for the past few weeks so it's nice to have like a good thing to look forward to
0: absolutely
2: absolutely (laughs) apologize in advance jesse i have had a couple shots to ease the nerves because (laughs) i recognize you consider yourself as a niche sort of um personality slash uh, niche celebrity but to me yeah i've been following your shit for a hot fucking minute (laughs) so i'm trying not to nerd the fuck out. I've been a girl since I
4: I was a fanboy, so...
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly! Exactly! Before I was a girl, I fanboyed the fuck out to your content. So I am trying to calm my fucking nerves i will not be drinking through this episode i just had a couple i had three shots beforehand so i'm trying to rein myself the fuck in
3: (laughs) well i am i am very honored and don't worry i like i said i'm a weird nerd as well so i totally know the feeling totally I, I'm
1: gonna yeah, go This is the that.
0: cutest th- let me just tell you, Jesse. This is the this is the like the cutest thing to see at Lucy like just like Yeah, stand I don't lose my cool. I didn't lose <laughs> my fucking cool
2: during wartime but for Jesse <laughs> fucking gender. Oh my god. I've I got like- beforehand. It, it, it is a
3: weird feeling to, to have people who do like sort of freak out at me sometimes because like I freak out at other people too like so like it's like weird when I go to like a Star Trek convention there were people who like freaked out at me like Mike McMahon who writes Star Trek Lower Decks came up to me and was freaking out at me because he's like oh my god I love your stuff and I'm like freaking out at him because like. Oh my god. As it was like this weird mutual like freak out moment uh that was just like a very strange thing. It's just it's 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 kind of fun just to see like people just enjoying each other and like looking up to each other. It's just nice. So I'm I'm very honored, is the long and short of all of that. So thank you so much.
0: Aria um was so kind to to bring you here with us today. So I just it's it's in her honor to ensure that she gets the platform to really ask the questions in Lucy and Athena. So I have not yet. Uh, seen much of Star Trek because I heard so much wonderful things about it that like almost everything that I hear I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to wait until like the like the hype dies down. So like in a few years I'll catch up on it. So hype like, will, oh, the my hype God. will never I'll die. Hype, the the hype dies it? down at the show that's been going on for 50 years. I'm going to get off camera. I'm just going to listen in, okay? okay I'll, I'll, Jesse, I'll do, I'll do it was so thing. nice meeting you and I, I'm just going to step off and I'm going to watch from behind the scenes and just massively text everybody be like, say this. So, oh. um... Well, it was really nice meeting you.
3: It was great meeting you. And uh, if there's anything that happens out of me meeting you, it's that you should be a Trekkie and I will, I will, I will hound you until I make you one.
0: (laughs) Oh my God. No, listen, what I'm going to do is I am going to like hardcore do everything like hyper fixate the hell out of Star Trek for the next two months. So that when I release this episode, I will, like, add in Star Trek references that are, like, not copyrighted into the show. Hell yes. (laughs) I am here for that. I am very here for that. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. It's, like, such an honor as the creator of the show to just have you here. So, thank you so much for for joining us. And uh, with that being said, I'm going to leave it to these fabulous ladies. So, uh, Jesse, for
1: people in our audience that uh, don't know you or anything about you, can you Give us a little bit of your, your background, what you do, um, et cetera, et cetera.
3: Yeah, uh, way too many things is the answer to that question. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't have any time ever, uh, but most people will probably know me uh, from YouTube where I'm known as Jesse Gender uh, and I do sort of YouTube videos on LGBTQ and trans issues uh, as well as nerddoms and geekdoms, often Star Trek being sort of the main one because I'm a huge Trekkie if you people hadn't caught on to that. Um, but I, I also like to use science fiction and nerddoms to talk about prescient political issues, like sort of talk, use science fiction to talk about things like, you know, if fighting fascism and things like that um but then also try to have a lot of videos and it's been more and more lately just given the need for it uh talking specifically about trans issues and lgbtq issues explicitly and 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 directly um so some of my big videos is i've done videos on like matt walsh's what is a woman the terrible anti-trans propaganda film uh that he did um and things like that so that's that's sort of my main stuff um, but I also work as a journalist. I've written for Gamespot, uh, The Advocate, Out Magazine, um, things like that. Um, I'm also um, a filmmaker, and I'm currently working on a short film uh, called Identities, uh, which will be uh, which will be a f- like non-binary focused, anti-capitalist, uh, very fun science fiction film that I'm sure I can talk about later on um, in greater depth. Uh, but yeah, that's that's basically the short list. So YouTuber, journalist, filmmaker, giant freaking nerd. <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
1: It's fantastic and um, I I don't I don't want to pigeonhole you because I'm sure like most of the time when you do these kind of things you were primarily talking about trans issues and Star Trek. So let's do something way <laughs> off the left field. How is Babylon 5? I've never seen this episode. Uh,
3: Babylon 5 is great. I mean, I do actually. So just to say, I do a podcast called Jumpgate with uh, my friend Vera Wilde, who's another YouTuber and is phenomenal. And we've been rewatching Babylon 5, me rewatching her for the first time. And the thing that I'm really loving about that show it is, is it is like so directly it is sad how directly prescient it is uh, to today because it is a very anti-fascist show. It quite literally is about the rise of fascism uh, using uh, on Earth. And I remember watching it as a kid and I remember a lot of people talking about it when uh, when I was growing up. People saying like, oh, this is unrealistic. These things wouldn't happen this way. And then I watch it today and I'm just sort of like, well, wow, that's right on the nose for today. In fact, I think there was an episode we did recently where like Earth falls directly to martial law. And uh, Veer and I were talking about it and we were just like, Wow. This feels like it's uh, exactly what's happening today, Uh, almost directly, one for one. That's depressing. Um, So Babylon 5 is great. It is still mired in a lot of, like, 1990s uh, politics stuff so like there's a lot of like it depicts cops really well but I don't necessarily know if it understands the problem with that of like oh we're, we're like we're, we'll abuse power that sort of stuff but like the show doesn't seem very well aware of it it sometimes is but not super mm-hmm. that and then also there's a lot of like sexist jokes that are like not the worst things in the world but very like trite 1990s like aha the woman's gonna have to deal with an awkward dating situation and it's like can we not? Can we not? So, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a great great show politically, and the characters are really really well done. But it also is a 1990 show, and everything that comes with that.
2: Yeah. Who's your favorite sure. character?
3: Oh, Ivanova by far. Ivanova's the best. Who doesn't love Who doesn't love Ivanova? Bisexual queen. Quite literally, she's uh. They have an episode in that show where uh they. They, it is explicit, like, it's clear that she's uh, bisexual and sleeps with a, another one of the female characters, but they have to, like, hide it enough so, like, people don't get it, but it is explicit. She even says that she loves her at one point in the series, so, like, it's bisexual queen, it which is something to get away with in the 90s, so.
1: <laughs> Very nice. That that makes me think of my kind of uh, love-hate attitude towards Odo from Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm.
3: Like, no, oh, Odo, it, Odo is Odo a little, oops, Odo's our favorite little gender-fluid fascist uh, goo boy.
2: So. <laughs> I mean Odo is a cop, so he's, very much he's a such cop. a fascinating, dynamic character. Woman, but he is also a cop—a cop with as an a black identity trans woman, crisis, a uh, mm-hmm. cab all the way. So yes, I agree. And I'm sorry to cut you off, Athena. I'm so sorry about that.
3: <laughs> no, he's quite you know. literally—he's quite literally a gender fluid, uh, fascist cop boy. Yep, we we and and neurodivergent coded. So there's a lot of complicated feelings about Odo. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Athena, what were you going to say? I'm sorry for cutting you off. Oh, yeah.
4: No, I was just uh, speaking to that sort of like he he definitely presents as like neurodivergent. uh, Mm -hmm. When the way he describes like forming around or shifting around in his bowl, you're just kind of like, OK, I've I've heard Mm -hmm. this kind of language before. Um, So it's like there's uh, uh, like sort of the way that he could like express or explore his body was an interesting facet, but they didn't really. Do all that much with it. And when they did, it was like, but Odo couldn't really figure it out because he didn't have the Mm -hmm. training or the knowledge or the experience passed on.
3: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. There's a lot of things. I mean, oh God, I could go down a hole and I probably will in the video I'm writing recently, but there's a whole rabbit hole you could go down with Odo and that sort of thing because he is neurodivergent coded, as you say. There's even an episode where they kind of show Odo's past and he, the way uh, Rene Aubergineau plays him at, in the past is like he always looks down. He doesn't look people in the eye. He talks about how like, he, like the fascist man who hires him to be a cop uh, on the station literally says, you know, I like you because you're able to like study people really well, which is like a sort of... Stereotype around uh, autistic people that we like study people really well and like can like see the details of stuff in people's faces Um, And he also says like, you know, I do have emotions, but people just don't don't see them as well So like he he is a very very neurodivergent coded character And then when you bring that into the 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 changelings that he's a part of the race that he's a part of like Complicated feelings there because you learn that the changelings are from like a race that were discriminated against by solids Which is why they have a prejudice against solids but then they're also shown to be like super fascisty. So it's uh it's it's an interesting, like, like complicated discussion to have about those characters because I feel like I feel like there's so much more they could have done with, like, the the culture of the Changelings in the sense of, like, how they see the world and how they see gender that yeah. I don't think the writers of Deep Space Nine, as much as I love that show and I think it's probably the best of the Star Trek shows, uh, I feel like they they weren't fully equipped to explore being a writer's room full of mostly uh, cis white straight dudes. So,
4: Well, it was it- – Sort, sort of the point is almost that he, he didn't have the community of his mm-hmm. honest, uh, you know, people just like him. And because of that, he was always masking for these, you know, mm-hmm. these solids for these human beings. So it's a perfect uh, analog for that that sort of masking behavior, not only for like autistic people, but also for, for trans people masking uh, yeah. behaviors, too.
3: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm working on a video about Sex and Star Trek Deep Space Nine and why I think it is the queerest of the Star Trek shows. Like my, my pitch, up, my, my thesis statement of it is going to be that it's the queerest uh, Star Trek show, but not in the sense that like, oh, here's a bunch of like queer representations that you can see, which you can, which I'm going to talk about, but also that it's a an ethos about found family and people uh, being the misfits and outcasts and people on the edge and being able to find uh, a family together and actually be the best of best of us in an area on the outskirts of society where where people often don't think that you should be able to exist. You know, it's not the like competent gleaming halls of the enterprise D that we get to see with Picard and everyone where like they're all competent, they're all the best of the best, they're all like shown to be like the top of their class on the flagship of the fleet. It's like no, Deep Space 9 is this little, you know, side like station, but even here people who are seen as the outcast, the people on the on the edges can not only find a family, find each other, but they can still showcase that we're the best of us even in the hardest of times. Um, so it's it's a very, I think the show has a very like queer ethos, which is why I love it. Because you can read so many queer metaphors into it and a lot of queer like direct queerness into it, um, like with Dax and a trans metaphor and things like that. Uh, Odo being a gender fluid fascist cop neurodivergent boy, uh, and so many others. But I think it, it's it's a show that I think really represents uh, a queer ethos in the sense that it's well, it's all about that. So
4: I, I think I would say that it might be the first time that Star Trek really starts to treat people as equals in the future mm-hmm. to a large mm-hmm. degree because there's not necessarily the looking down on a woman and not being capped as like they're all like Omni capable and like the cultures that are presented, they're like, you know, fighter cultures or warrior cultures that seem to hold women in equal esteem. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have a, a question from a, a poly partner that they wanted to ask what what factors do you think in Klingon society might've led it to be as feminist as it is?
3: Uh, I mean, it's, it's an interesting one because Klingon culture is all about like honor, right? So I see Klingon culture is something I have to like really think about because there is some like sort of regressive stuff in there, mostly coming from Worf, who is sort of like this idealized version of Klingon culture. Like in the original TNG uh episodes, he sort of like has sex with uh I forget her name, but the his uh his mother of his uh child. Um, and he sort of is like, Well, now we need to marry because once you have sex, you're married for life, which is a very sort of regressive sort of like conservative view on on marriage and sex and things like that. Um but I do think that it sort of progressed because, uh, in in that way, because I think, I think it comes out of desire to understand uh, fighting and and conflict in a way that's not just always like on the battlefield fighting people. One of the one of the best explorations that I like when we get to explore the Klingons is when we meet characters who are not just like warriors fighting, um, but still sort of have that sort of like, I'm going to go and fight mindset. So you see like lawyers on Deep Space Nine and also in Star Trek Enterprise who they're like, well, I don't fight on the battlefield, but the law is my battlefield and knowing these things are my battlefield. And we also see in Discovery, we meet uh, Laurel, who is a woman who just like defines herself as mother and like she becomes chancellor of the Klingon Empire uh, and you can sort of extrapolate from there that women are sort of like seen as warriors in in many different regards, not just you know fighters on the battlefield. But then on top of that, they are also like treated as equals when they are fighting too. We see that with characters like Jadzia Dax, who is not uh, a, actually a Klingon, but she is sort of accepted as such by the men around her. And she is seen as just as much a capable warrior um, as the rest of them, I think they're only hesitation is that you know she's in a new body uh rather than like her like being a uh you know like not capable and so they're like are you still capable of doing this because you're a different person not because you're uh like a woman necessarily so i i think that it's it's it comes out of a lot of that stuff though to be fair the klingons are also because it's a 50 year old franchise they have ups and downs in sort of their depictions of things so yeah you know,
2: i mean I, from a race standpoint yeah Mm-hmm. I mean, does everybody remember the uh TOS version of the Klingons?
3: Oh, you mean the the blackface, also uh yellow face uh characters? Yeah, yeah, I remember those. Yeah.
2: Sure. There was like, you know what, we're gonna make them warlike and warlike, and at the same time we're gonna be like, let's make them black and Asian at the very same time.
3: Yeah. So it's like let's just let's all just spray tan all these white actors and put them in Fu Manchu beards and <laughs> uh and then uh, like kind of just have them be warlike and primitive, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. So there's still some I, uh, good stuff in the in the TOS Klingons, but yeah, that was the choices were made. <laughs> I
4: always thought it was pretty funny how they had that that se- segment in DS9 where they brought it back to the Tribble episodes. They were just about like, to talk about that. What, yeah, why,
1: why are they Worf, different? Worf was like, we don't talk about it. And they do. Star Trek
3: Enterprise is a two part episode where they do explain it. And spoilers, it's not that interesting.
2: (laughs) Well, I'm sure you've all seen like the stuff with Discovery and then uh, the most recent stuff with Picard and, Mm. you know, the return to uh, the Klingons that they have with Worf.
3: Mm, I I always people get really upset at Discovery. I actually kind of liked the look of the Discovery Klingons in season one, um, partially because like one of the things that I did like is that they showed a lot of skin tones. Like there are like purple skinned Klingons. There's the uh, there's the um, uh, the uh, uh, the white skin the albino Klingon is his name um, that we get to see in there as well. Uh, and, and so there's like multiple skin tones and different looks. Um, my only problem with and I saw so I th- I like that. My only problem with the Discovery. Klingons is that they like the the um mask that they have them in the makeup kind of goes around the actor's chin so all yeah. the actors kind of have to speak like this just because they can't move their mouth as easily um and so that that was sort of my my biggest complaint about that is it wasn't actor friendly but i thought the look was actually fine and people were i thought the ugly.
2: look was really cool i just didn't like the guy who played tyler he just oh, has yeah. a very like what the fuck oh god like, oh yeah
3: dash tyler <laughs> yeah. was uh, an actor
2: <laughs> yeah i didn't like the character <laughs> did. i love the designs i just hated tyler yeah. especially after the human stuff i was like
3: yeah. Yeah, season 1 and season 2 of Discovery made choices. I love Discovery. I think it's done a lot of great things right, but the showrunners of those first two seasons, which apparently they got fired for being assholes. Um they mm. they 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 had problems. It gets better though in season 3, so.
1: Yeah, I think um I I feel like Discovery kind of is or it followed the same tradition of a lot of other Star Trek series where it had a rocky first or second seasons, but got progressively better as it found its footing and found its own identity.
3: Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think for the my general rule for Star Trek is – First two seasons are always the worst, and by the third season, it really takes off. I think the only exceptions have been more recent shows like – and we haven't even gotten to the third season, so maybe by the third season it'll be even more amazing. Uh, but Strange New Worlds, Prodigy, and Lower Decks, I think, have all had amazing seasons yes. one uh, seasons one and two. Uh, but other than those three shows, I think every Star Trek show has had a kind of crap first two seasons and then, um, and then gets exponentially better in the third season. I mean, look at Picard right now. The first two seasons of Picard – horrible like absolutely i think some of my least favorite oh i love picard oh i love i love season three of picard it's great and i love a lot of the ideas especially in season like a lot of the (laughs) ideas in season one of picard i think are wonderful i hate uh season two of picard quite a lot and i hate a lot of the decisions that they make at the end of season one of uh picard and also going into season two Mm -hmm. of picard like for example they have a really great setup In that season for the synth ban, Uh, we sort of learned that there was a terrorist attack uh, caused by synthetics and it led to prejudice against synths to the point where like they were literally banned from society in the Federation. Uh, and and that makes perfect sense, especially when you like look back at things like Next Generation where there was sort of like still a lot of bias at not seeing synthetics as full humans with characters like Data and stuff like that. And I'm like, this makes perfect sense to take this storyline and, and sort of like extrapolate out like, look, Fe- Federation is not a utopia. It still can become hawkish. It still can become prejudicial against people that it doesn't see as full people. My issue then becomes, though, by the end of the season, uh, and this is the problem I have with a lot of like modern Star Trek, though it's getting somewhat better um, with things like Strange New Worlds and stuff. Uh, but they kind of make it a big blockbuster action film by the end. And so all yes. these like the nuances of all these cool ideas get tossed aside in terms of like big battle stuff. And so we meet the society of synths at the end of the season who are just like, they're so radicalized after being so ostracized by society, they're like, we're going to murder everybody. Yes. And and the the answer to that by Picard is just like, just prove you're better. We'll accept you. It'll be fine. And and so they like don't cause a mass genocide of all human beings Uh, and, no, all, and all
2: biological life of, all biological
3: life. And uh, and then Picard, and then there's like an offhanded line where they're like, well, after that, we just got rid of the synth ban. It's been revoked. And I'm like, so all that prejudice is now gone after literally the synths try to, like, destroy all of life and I'm like there would be much more nuanced conversations. You could have done a whole season about like fighting the battle for synths to be seen as full people in in but it's like an offhanded line. And then you see next season in season two, you have the synth character like going around to different planets being like, oh I'm trying to like give the synths a good name and I'm like this feels really like kind of fucked up where it's like the synths have to go around sort of like proving that they're cool, proving that they're good, proving that they're seen as full people um, it, it instead of like the Federation, like actually accepting them. Uh, and it sort of like puts the onus upon synthetics to sort of like deal with their own prejudice that's that's weirdly familiar yeah yeah would you say
2: though that like this is the only instance in the most recent timeline well not timeline sorry uh the most recent times where star trek is kind of or uh star wars is kind of kind of beaten star trek to the punch to that with like the stuff that's going on with the mandalorian i don't know if you watch uh, oh
3: i i did i did a video literally today that came out today on my secondary channel about my issue with the mandalorian Because they just did a recent – they did a recent episode where – it was this week's episode where they have a – they go to a planet, and there's a clearly upper-class society that's sort of like doing whatever. They literally just play games and do nothing. Um, Yes. In fact, fact, Jack Black's character we learned is part of the Amnesty program, so he was an ex-fascist. Uh, and X, he's literally, we learn he's an ex fascist empire guy who just came to this planet. It was just like, you know, what, I'll just rule here. Now I get voted in whatever. And then we learn the entire higher of the society does not work anymore. Uh, yes. because they've, they've reprogrammed droids to do that work. And we start to learn in this episode that the droids are malfunctioning and no one knows why. And I thought I thought where they were going with it was that the droids were going to rebel because clearly if you look throughout all of Star Wars, droids are sentient beings. There's even a yes. thing in Solo, a Star oh. Wars story where one of the droids was- quite literally going to go S yep me too so and yeah, the they, only put, they awesome put that poor droid in the millennium falcon mm-hmm. so now it's
1: trapped yeah. as a part of the millennium falcon forever
3: yeah and she like tries to fight for for droid rights and it's like treated as a joke and pushed aside but it's still like um, clear that they wish to self-actualize and they have a desire to fight back and so i thought yeah. that's where they were going in the mandalorian episode but no what it turns out is they go to this bar that the droids run um and oh my god uh and which, by the way, the fact that the droids have a bar showcases that there are people who have, like, off hours, who, like, want to hang out and have off hours, that it's not like they just work all the time. And they go and talk to the droid bartender, and the droid bartender's like, yeah, we're not the ones actually malfunctioning. Uh, it- it's actually someone else's reprogrammed us. We just want to work. This makes us look bad. We want to work for the organics because we just want – we want to pay them back what? for just bringing us to, like, we- they uh-huh. can – they they the I think the droid says like we we they give us jobs, it's not really that hard and we just want to show organics that we uh we care about them.
2: And I oh. um, well, yeah. That, and at the same time, you have to remember, like when he's when it, when uh that one droid at the resistor is like going through the things. He's basically like saying, like, well, I guess I should say they, because you know they don't really have a clear cut um Genius, gender binary yeah. of any sort. But like at one point, they literally say, like, you know, you gave us a chance, and you're not dismantling us when everywhere else did.
0: Like, yeah, which to is me,
2: they have not only sentience, but that combined with the bar they're the same as people. Uh, yeah, they, they
3: very clearly are, and and they're worried about being, and they literally state like, if we don't work for you, we will be decommissioned and killed. Uh, yes, and and, and yeah. it's just and it kind of gives me House Elves vibes from Harry Potter, where it's like, yeah. oh, we just want to work. We like being slaves, and like, it's our job as the, you know, the, the oppressors to come and teach you, like, we're, we're the good ones. We can <laughs> teach you not, you don't need to work for us. It's fine. It's like, no, what should actually happen is a droid rebellion, because workers yes. unite and push back against their uh, their oppressors who are like seize the means of production everybody like legitimately and 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 it just felt like that whole episode had very like boomer politics like <laughs> like like uh colonizer apology is sort of stuff uh and it just and, and again it kind of goes to like john favreau who i like john favreau generally I've, I've liked some of his movies but he's just a dude who seems like i just want to have my fun adventure star wars and not like understand the political underpinnings of a lot of what it's doing uh and so uh unfortunately like reinforces a lot of very problematic uh issues within the series so yeah no I star know. wars is very much behind i feel like on that Andor does a great job though and is fantastic yeah. and was great i
2: had to ask i had to ask because there's that distinction between the two that i didn't know if anyone else had noticed or people are like oh star wars versus star trek and one is more forward than the other but if you really think about it when it comes to the social issues they're kind of i feel a little bit neck and neck with the exception of there's more representation in star trek obviously mm-hmm. because disney you know owns one and although a lot of people feel that they are very forward thinking i feel no. it's more like for the money
3: they, they're very tokenistic. They're not inclusive. Yes. Whereas Star Trek is uh, still, w- was very tokenistic for a long time in a lot of different ways. And I sort of write videos about that, but has, especially in recent years, but always, but especially more recently, have been much more inclusive about letting people of different backgrounds uh, not only be visible, but actually be part of the narrative as ourselves. Like I think Discovery does this the best yeah. where you see like a queer found family and they get to like queer characters get to exist as ourselves in community with each other instead of there being like one queer character that exists but literally every single uh star trek show on right now has a prominent queer or non-binary or trans character if not several um yeah like gray uh, yeah gray gray and adira on discovery are two uh non-binary trans characters but we also have um Jet Reno, who's a lesbian. You have uh, 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 why am I blanking on the gay couple's name in that show off the top of my head? Wilson Cruz and Anthony Rapp's characters, who's named I'm blanking on, but they're a gay couple, an interracial gay couple as well. Um, You have uh, Detmer, who is uh, coded. She's not exactly it's not ever stated, but she's coded as a a lesbian character, and the actress is lesbian as well. So like multiple queer characters in that show. Over on Lower Decks, you have Mariner, who's a bisexual black woman. On Prodigy, you have uh, Zero Hero, who is a non-binary a cl- character on uh strange prodigy? yeah prodigy's great yeah, yeah. i thought i was uh, the only one who watched prodigy oh prodigy's great i adore prodigy it's i love prodigy mm-hmm. uh on strange new worlds you have uh the- strange new worlds is like i'm a little bit more mixed on just in the sense that uh they haven't like been as upfront about the queerness of the characters but they have stated uh in the show that nurse chapel is bisexual they have uh had a non-binary villain character who is Oh, amazing i love the yes, non-binary that, villain in that show uh, you know, so were- yeah and picard has had uh made seven of nine bisexual and raffi bisexual and has a non-binary character this season on the bridge of the Titans. so
2: how do you feel about though the um the next season after raffi and um seven get together and then suddenly it's just kind of like not really spoken about afterwards like right I- meet- all
3: I I don't disagree. And I actually I actually spoke to Terry Metalis about this. I actually asked him about it. Um and and from what I can gather and I certainly understand this, is it wasn't a desire to downplay their sexuality or to like pull them apart. It's just more like there's a story he wanted to tell, and it sort of necessitated them being apart. And it, and it showcases, and it's frustrating to me because it showcases to me how like ancillary and not really considered their romance was. I mean, they're the fact that they are bisexual characters. Is something the actors found at the end of season one, like they discovered it, and they sort of played into it in season two. Um And so I I I just find it's a bit frustrating in the sense that like. I don't see any malice necessarily on the part of the writers with that but I do see sort of like them not really taking a queer romance and queer storyline into priority in any way shape or form. The only the I only the only, the only the only grace that I will give them is like this season of Picard really doesn't feature any Romantic storylines and in any way straight gay or not the like, first anyway.
2: asexual storyline.
3: Yeah, exactly. I, I feel like Base it was
2: fair mating and with the stuff that's going on with Jack and or not Jack. Sorry. Uh, Well, no, because the stuff that's happening with Jack and LaForge's daughter, one of one of uh, LaForge's daughters kind of makes me feel like it's going more towards like a. Mm, shr- that's a good point. That's a good point. And yeah. And then not to mention the stuff that's going on. Like, I really like the idea of polyamory being introduced with the kind of like the stuff being quoted by um, um, Riker and uh, Troy, well, I guess also a Riker now at this moment, but where she's like, yeah, I invited him in and, and I slept with him, but he was also great in bed and bad at pizza. And, <laughs> you know, Riker saying the same, like, oh, yeah, that's basically me, basically. Yeah, but yeah. I do feel, though, that it was kind of like queer baiting at the end of it. It gave me the impression that they didn't expect there to be another season. And the fact that there was, especially with what happened with Jaffe and all that stuff, it made me, it gave me the impression that um, they felt that previous season was going to be the last season of Picard. And then this season, they're like, oh, shit, we got to start from somewhere. And maybe they'll get together at the end.
3: I think it's more uh, they last – the showrunners changed. So Terry Metalis became the showrunner on season three, uh, and then season two uh, was a different – was he was there, but he was not the showrunner at that time. Um, and so I think it was just more that they kind of shifted direction and wanted to go like the TNG reunion route for season three. Um which, you know, for better or worse, I think, you know, has has improved the perception of the show in its final season. I have I have issues with this season of Picard, uh, but I do think it's a distinct step up from the past two seasons, like by far. And so I don't disagree with you in, in any way on that front. I think it's more just like it, it, it's one of those things where it's a season very clearly. And I say this with the utmost respect because, I again, I talked to him and I think he's a really great guy. um, But it is a show very much clearly like show run by a cis straight dude. And yeah. so you see like a lot of the women characters being sort of like put in the mother role still and and like better than they were in TNG. But it's still sort of like reinforcing a lot of these like roles for women and places for women. And it's just like I can clearly see the difference between this show and um, like Strange New Worlds or Discovery where you have a much more diverse group of people sort of leading the charge on that. And it's not to say that Picard's bad or deeply offensive. Um, any means, but it's just sort of like clear where the viewpoint is coming from, which is by the way, why I'm a little bit frustrated a little bit is like, there's been this discourse online around Picard season three around being like, well, Star Trek's back. This is classic Star Trek again. And we want to see this continue. And I would love to see this storyline continue. But I think a lot of there, there is a lot of like the tech, the Trek bro, uh, mindset that I think is sort of like, like sees a lot of like the harking back to like the eighties, nineties era of Star Trek, which, uh, which a lot of us love myself included but that was an era of the show that did have a very male centric viewpoint because of the male centric yeah. creators behind the show and and i think that that's led to a lot of issues throughout the franchise that again sometimes were not as offensive but very clearly like you can see where that viewpoint sort of limits the ability for the show to articulate a lot of really intriguing ideas like with the like the changelings on Deep, uh, Deep Space Nine um, is because we were talking about that earlier. And so I, I I hesitate to be like, yeah, I want to see more of this. I would certainly love to see a continuation of this era of storytelling, like the the 24th, 25th century Star Trek stuff with like these characters in that era, which has been generally avoided by Star Trek for the long, longest time. But I wouldn't want that viewpoint to be sort of centered in the same way that um, that older era of Star Trek was. so. Yep. Anyway, no, but... Star Trek. I love that this is the trans narrative podcast, and I've just we've ranted about Star Trek. Wait, wait, we'll, most... we'll rebrand it. It's all right. Yeah, <laughs> this, this is, is the Trek, is not Trek,
4: Trek narrative, the Trek podcast. narrative podcast. Okay. Okay, nice. Well, one second here. Uh, just this is from my wife. If if you had a chance to, uh, if you were approached by any couple, whether it's speculated or not, uh, you know, uh, for for a threesome, who would it be, and why would it be? Dax and Worf or
3: <laughs> eric <Derek. laughs> That's such a good that's a good question because I've been asked this question before. Where it was just like a single person. Uh, and the answer was Riker like that someone would say that if you could go have like a romantic date with somebody or like go like have sex with somebody it would be Riker because I feel like Riker would be like a really great like lover he would be non-jealous he'd be a lot of fun to hang out with um, like Riker would definitely be it but I don't know if I would want to be in like a Riker Diana situation well maybe I would. Just, I, it's just one of those, like, I feel like they're, like, so perfect for each other that I I honestly don't even want to, like, be in the mix with them because i just be like, oh, you two are just adorable. I like seeing you two fuck each other. Uh, <laughs> um, so I don't even... I I would be, like, the creepy watcher in that situation. Um, so I, I'm trying to think, like... Jetsy and Worf would be interesting, but that it'd be very kinky. I feel like they get very aggressive, uh, and they, like, break each other's bones, which is, like... Not my, like, not my jam in that situation. Like, again, it'd be like, I'm here for it. It's hot. I don't know if I'm, I'm... Actually, you know what? Yeah, it probably would be Jed C and Worf. Just especially if you think about Klingon Anatomy. Oh, Over what? Bashir and yeah. Garrick,
1: Or Worf and... would break my spine. I, w- I was going to say Bashir and Garrick. Yeah,
3: yeah, Bashir and Garrick would be fun, too. I feel like that would be interesting. But I feel like there's there's a lot of, like... I feel like there's a lot of complicated feelings in that dynamic... That it's just like I'm just here, and I feel like they'd be they'd be feeling stuff with each other. Again, it's one of those like I feel like they'd be working something out, and I would just be there. Like I feel like I'd be like the therapy person in the middle of that situation. <laughs> Whereas Worf and Jadzia, I feel like they're they're like good. They they like got their stuff down. Uh, and, like, it would just be a fun time for all, and I feel like- I feel like Worf and Jet Z, I think I would just, like, have to set, like, boundaries on, like, how far physically aggressive I could be, they could be. <laughs> um, Jed,
1: but, yeah. gives that- that vibe, um, from- from the meme, that she would walk up to somebody and be like, hey, me and my partner were looking at you from across the room, uh, you wanna-
3: Oh, to- 100%.
4: 100%. There's already two people there, kinda. You know, yeah, like a happen-house situation. Exactly.
3: She's so it's already kind of polyamorous as it <laughs> as it stands with the, with the trill. So so yeah, exactly. Um yeah, I am trying to think of anyone else. Uh Voyager, there's no one like Tom and Balana. Eh. Um, let's see, Enterprise to Paul and Trip. They have too much shit that they need to work out for that to make sense. Uh you know actually uh book and um 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 Burnham might be an interesting one too actually Ooh. they they that feel they're two beautiful people, and I would just be like oh man um I feel I feel like the schlub in this in this uh dynamic here <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um who else I'm trying to think of who else um Picard I mean seven and Raffy would be interesting but again they got shit to work out um Actually Mariner and Jennifer would be an interesting one from lower decks. That'd be an interesting dynamic too. So it would be
1: yeah.
4: All valid answers. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. I think if I had to pick one, it'd be Worf Warf and Jed Sia. It would probably be the number one. Riker and Deanna I'd probably be, be would be interested in. I now, feel Kirk like Kirk and Spock. Kirk and Spock though. If you had healthy
4: communication with Garrick and Bashir, they would take such good care of you. Oh, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. If I (laughs) I think, I think, I think it'd be, well, like Bashir would be like the very caring one and Garrick would be like, let's do some nasty, let's do weird, let's get weird, let's do strange, strange things. And Bashir would be like, are you like, are you cool with that? Like Bashir would be like, he'd be down, but he'd be like checking in along the way every few seconds and Garrick would be like, let's just go for it. (laughs) It's like, that's a good dynamic to have, I feel like. This reminds me. I was talking
1: to Lucy about my my one problem so far with uh, *Strange New Worlds* is that the the new Kirk, um, the actor that they have playing Kirk, oh. he doesn't have that himbo energy.
3: No, he doesn't. Though what's what's interesting um, is uh, I was at Star Trek: Mission Chicago, uh, and I asked a question to the people on stage, and I asked it to Ethan Peck, and I said, well, "What do you think about like Spock's uh, importance to queer people?" and like Kirk slash Spock fiction. And he was like a deer in the headlights, totally unaware that that was a thing. And he's like, what? I had no idea. And I'm like, oh, you sweet summer child. You sweet (laughs) summer child. There's gonna be art made of you and mm-hmm. uh it's 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 gonna be you and paul wesley naked it just be aware like we are in like right like the leonard D. Moy and william shatner kirk and spock i had a, like a whole renaissance of kirk slash spock fan fictions what sort of like led these sort of like shipping fandom in that time exactly exactly there it is the prop-
4: that whole glass wall right there says so <laughs> oh, much doesn't so great. it oh it their really faces does. are so
3: close <laughs> it really does and then um 2009 we got that renewed with chris pine and zachary quinto there was sort of a brief like tumblr renaissance of that and i'm just like it's gonna come back with ethan peck and paul wesley and yeah he d- paul wesley just does not bring the himbo energy it's it's um it's unfortunate it's very
1: disappointing maybe, maybe in the next season but, but
3: but you know what <laughs> ethan peck brings enough of it that i think it might might work i it's sort of i am interested yeah. to see the dynamic between ethan peck and paul uh paul we- yeah, wesley something like that. i think their dynamic will be in will be a big interesting sort of look so.
1: yeah absolutely um so I I did want to uh, transition to uh, talk about the more political stuff. Um, yeah, transition to so, good. we're good with that. So.
0: Yeah.
1: uh So I I really appreciated your your video, and my brain is blanking on the title. Um, tr- uh, how trans protests uh, teach us how to fight fascism. Mm,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. Something right? along those lines. I just, yeah. I so, I don't. Re- I always play with titles, so it might have even changed while you were doing it because <laughs> YouTube algorithms. Fuck with me uh, a lot. So.
1: (laughs) Right. And uh you you uh you brought up Matt Walsh briefly. And I don't know if you saw um there was a clip where Matt Walsh was doing um some kind of QA thing, and he had a conversation with a trans woman in the audience where I thought she very eloquently um brought her her arguments to the table and seemed like got Matt Walsh a bit a bit flustered, Mm -hmm. which I was very happy to see. And um I I'm not somebody who's like um, the the oh the marketplace of ideas. Well, all the ideas, the best ideas, will inevitably win out because I don't think there's any place that should be platforming genocidal rhetoric like the kind mm-hmm. that Matt Walsh and Michael Knowles are bringing to the table. Mm-hmm. So I'm I, I'm just curious. Um, what what kind of strategies do you think that us on the left should be going for in addressing these people and their arguments?
3: Yeah, I mean. It's difficult because one of the things and I, I almost want to do a video on it too, but I've done enough on Matt Walsh and I'm kind of done with him. But um the the issue that fair. we that the trans people face is kind of twofold. One is that the arguments that anti-trans people are seeing, and I'm talking about like people on like who fall into this rhetoric, not like the people spewing it like Matt Walsh and, and such. They only really see trans people through the straw man uh, vilified version uh, of trans people that they get from from Matt Walsh uh so like i see in my comments a lot of the time like even th- they'll be the nasty ones like yo look what is this freak what is this awful person whatever like the dehumanizing like very genocidal disgusting speech um but then there'll be times too where i see people like leave long things like oh you know i i understand trans people but then they'll like go on to like say like a bunch of misinformation about trans people that they 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 like but I, these are my issues that i have with trans people's like well and it's just like it's frustrating because like You want to sit down and explain every single one of these points and being like, this is not what trans people actually believe. Like, I think the basic like even one of the most basic ones is like that you see constantly. I can go into some nuanced ones, but the most basic one is like, well, you can't change. Like, I support trans people, but I I, I don't believe you can change your biological sex. And it's like, well, trans people aren't saying that we're like changing our our like like uh, chromosomes or like we're not unaware of biology in fact we're very aware of biology and we also are aware that like biological features are very mutable with the technology that we have now today and how we think about that can be very uh, fluid as well along with gender roles and gender society as well uh, and it's like a very nuanced conversation but it just sort of gets boiled down to like trans people don't understand biological reality and it's like no we're very aware of it in fact we have a more nuanced re- relationship to it as well but they only sort of get that straw man version and the the issue is when you get to you know I watched that video that you're talking about and and the problem when you go up and talk to someone like Matt Walsh is the uh, there's two audiences that watch that yes. and there's us who watch it and we see that woman and we we see them making these great points and we say like oh yeah clearly this takes down his logic and he gets flustered and da 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 da, da. Yeah, the other side doesn't
1: see it that way though they
3: don't they they come from a completely different viewpoint and and so they're already on matt walsh's side and so they already take whatever this person's saying as ridiculous and strange and are already coming at it from an antagonistic viewpoint they're, they're not really coming at it for like understanding your point but they sort of have this already this backing of misinformation and so they sort of like view this person is either a liar or misinformed or just saying ridiculous things and 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 uh, the the a video that I want to do at one point is there is a conversation in, in the film what is a woman that Matt Walsh did where he has a conversation with a professor and you know it's a very misinformed thing I already covered it in my video that I did on it but one thing I didn't necessarily discuss was I watched that video and I said like the professor in that scene it very clearly articulates his view very well, and I think I come away from it being like, yeah, he was cor- absolutely correct and, and right. But when you watch that same scene from the understanding of a person who follows Matt Walsh, that he comes across looking ridiculous and dumb because they already have the idea that trans people are liars and don't. And they have a different base of assumption, um, and a different like train of logic that they're following, um cuz logic is like a line of th- a line of thought that starts with certain assumptions not a sort of like you know mystical thing that sort of we can like see through logic is like a process um and so when you start from different assumptions you're going to end up with different like viewings of certain s- scenes and so that's why i always view like There's a need to push back against folks like Matt Walsh and a need to say, fuck these people. But a lot of the time, that is not going to convince anybody um, on the uh, who has already fallen into this misinformation. And I don't think that that doesn't mean it's not valuable. It is valuable to uh, help us. Uh, articulate and hear the things that we need to hear. And number one, make us feel like we're not ridiculous. Uh, we're like we we here's the information that we have, and so we can explain it to ourselves and so we can sort of like hear like the arguments and why this is wrong. And so to reinforce our own reasoning. but but it's not going to be very convincing. And the way that it, it creates this un- thing where the way to convince somebody, To fall out of these rhetorics is actually doing it on a much more empathetic personal level where you have to like sort of sit down. It's sort of the same thing with conspiracy theories in a lot of ways is you have to like sit down and have like an actual conversation that sort of empathizes with where they see trans people as and say like well no that's not actually this no this is actually where this is this is this is what trans people believe or this is the science behind this or this is the truth and it needs to come from that level of of understanding and and empathy the problem the problem is that that's a very dangerous situation to put a trans person in uh because we are currently undergoing a genocide attempt and so it's it's asking us to do the emotional labor for somebody who's causing us harm but they see us as like a, a an equal an equal ideological uh, opponent quite like and I use the word opponent like clearly because they, they you constantly see this like well this it's just agree to disagree it's like well the disagreement is whether or not I have a right to exist it's not a it's not a disagreement on the level of like oh I just we have this like I like Star Trek you like Star Wars let's have a let's have a discussion about it um, it's like no. The, the crux of agreement is whether or not I even exist or I have a right to exist. But you people sort of like the enlightened centrist people, uh, quote unquote, sort of see it as this sort of discussion between like equal uh, ideologies. And it's not because we have sort of like normalized, uh, like the dehumanization of trans people. You know, it's a like. You know it's sexualizing a trans person dehumanizing a trans person is seen as is every day whereas like if i'd make a joke sexualizing you know matt walsh or things like that it seems like i have I get a youtube you know community violation it's sort of that well, what happens and well, and and one uh sorry uh the the point that i'll just sort of end on i'm sort of rambling a little bit um is i think the tactic that we we need to use and i think like people sort of pigeonhole that we like, we only have one tactic to use. I think it's we can have multiple things going on. One is, I think we need to do work to, on a personal level, if we have the energy and ability, to reach out to people and and try to have these conversations. In fact, the vid- the video that I'm working on right now, that's going to come out next on my channel, um, is going to be a, uh, about talking about masculinity and how uh, cis, especially cis white dudes, get radicalized. Um, and how I as a trans femme person actually empathize with a lot of that because I sort of experienced the same crisis of masculinity and identity. I just was uh, a trans woman and so had a like way to understand myself uh, in a way that a lot of cis white dudes who get radicalized who feel like they need to live up to some version of manhood don't because they are men. But they don't really see a version of manhood that doesn't fall into these sort of like angry, you know, uh, vitriolic, competitive capitalist sort of mindsets that fall into fascism. Um and so I'm doing that video that is, I think, gonna be very empathetic to that. And I'm hoping that, you know, I don't expect uh, you know, it'll change anyone's minds, uh, a lot of ways, but it might provide an avenue to like see some empathy for these people. But also we need to understand at the same time that you need to punch fascists in the face. You need to you need to fight them and you need to you need to uh fight them on uh wherever they they prop up. And, you know, there's this discourse going on now about you know, well, whether trans people should use violence and and whether or not it's acceptable. You know, you sort of see after like the uh the the New Zealand and uh, Auckland stuff. There's where people's like, well, I, you know, this is just this is unacceptable. You're using violence. People getting punched. I'm like, no, you punch Nazis in the face, and you you push back against them because they are inciting violence. And the only the reason that people don't necessarily always see their violence uh it, it uh, always is because number one, um, they couch it in respectability. And they couch it in like, well, we just – it's, again, a battle of ideologies where it's, again, your ideology is that I shouldn't exist. So, no, I don't view that as a valid one and one that I will respect. Um, And then also people in power are able to hide their violence and state violence and and legitimize it, saying like, oh, we're just creating a legislation to protect the children from getting access to gender-affirming care. It's like, no, that is violence that is actually causing demonstrable harm to people. And it's legitimized by having a sort of state apparatus behind it and people don't view it as violence. But it is violence. So me going and, say, and saying, fuck you, and like, you know, punching people where we need to punch them or throwing soup on them, which isn't really violence. It's embarrassment. It's like it's soup. Deal with it. Um, uh it it's 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 honestly a self it's the self-defense and honestly lesser violence than they're enacting. They are enacting violence on an a large scale platform. Um, and so it's it's that's sort of the it, it's it's that's why I'm sort of like I always wrestle with this when you sort of ask about tactics, because I think there's there's the empathetic one where we do try and have like small scale conversations with people to try to de-radicalize them to understand our points of view. You know, I try to do those videos so that they can have like a a video to send to people to be able to have that point of view. Um, but uh, and I think that that's who I am. I'm, I'm someone who likes to do that emotional energy and to and to do that work. Uh, it's difficult sometimes, but it's like it's, it's something I know I can offer. But I also know that that tactic is not the only one that should be used. And it's something that I wrestle with. And I'll end here. Sorry, I know I'm ranting a lot. But it's something that I wrestle with often because, you know, if, if I was if I was smarter about it, I would just pick one and, and go for it. Uh, And just be like my videos are always going to be like these empathetic ones that are always focusing on de-radicalizing people Or they would be like fuck these fascists Let's go fight them and and have them be like one or the other because I feel like me being seen as both is somewhat Deleterious to both ends of those things Um, Because you know you know when I do the empathetic video then I'd make the one that's like fuck fascists Uh, the the people who are falling into that thing will be like "Oh, Jesse you're so you hate me now and I'm like (laughs) no I'm just sort of like having this other conversation. And so it's it's one of those things that I sort of wrestle with because it's like, you know, I I I understand the need for both tactics. I understand that they're both helpful. And sometimes you need somebody who is all just one and all just the other because it'll allow people to sort of view them um in in in, in that light. But it also sort of is is one of those things where it's like, I very much understand that both are necessary and so I do both. And so it's always kind of difficult.
2: So. Well, I see it as like, um, I, don't know, uh, I don't watch the Joe Rogan podcast whatsoever because, mm-hmm. you know, to me, he's transphobic, especially mm-hmm. the, that was said about Fallon Fox and mm-hmm. so forth, especially when it comes to trans women in sports, which I remember your basketball video, I agree wholeheartedly as somebody <laughs> very, like, physically fit. Mm-hmm. I saw it as like, it really speaks to me because I am no longer very physically fit, as we all know when you're on estrogen, mm-hmm. especially with testosterone blockers you have less estrogen slash estradiol than a cisgendered woman so your muscles are basically like bye bitch um and we can
3: have i, I want to let you finish your point but we should talk about trans <laughs> women sports because i think that that's a, a very important place to have discussion but anyways we'll talk i I now.
2: agree wholeheartedly because you you there is a lot of misinformation like i remember um uh, adam conover from adam ruins everything slash uh conover humor and even uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson was on that same show because somebody tried to like forward that show to me as some mm-hmm. sort of like, oh Not hey. A- I- yeah. And it was like, no, uh Joe Rogan is a fool at best. He's I'm sorry, but he's a fool of a toque as somebody who needs to <laughs> say.
3: And my Lord Rings um, tattoo, so um. Exactly. And well, um Well the thing the thing with the thing with trans the thing with trans people in sports, the reason that I find it so important is for two reasons one it is a the reason that trans uh, phobia is such a potent tool often is that it is one that can be used to not only reach to like neo-nazis and far-right ideologies um but one that also reaches into uh, more liberal spaces. And I say liberal, meaning mm-hmm. liberal, not leftist, because um, people right. sort of use those two interchangeably. And so you'll see trans women in sports be used, and you will see a lot of liberal leaning folks, like Democrats, um, sort of even fall into, like, yeah, you know, I support trans people, but I do think that this is unfair to the point where even the Biden administration, I think just this week, released a guidance that actually cited a lot of right wing talking points saying, like, well, we should, you know, you should have concerns about. About trans women in sports you know we shouldn't ban them outright but we should have concerns and they even like cited right-wing yeah. talking points about like people losing yeah. scholarships uh potentially and i'm like well don't trans women also deserve scholarships also why are we having people fight each other for uh for access to college which is its own whole discussion in capitalism Well, then, and
2: like the, the the numbers uh speak against it like you have yeah. two athletes out of like Thousands.
3: Well, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh, it's bad. not even it's, it's it's not even a it's not even a big issue in terms of the people, but even 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 beyond that, like like it's a it's an issue that is used to uh reach into from it's a, it's an issue that is able to reach from into far right spaces and galvanize far right people and even into left lean left leaning left-lean okay. liberal spaces, um, and the reason that that's the case, especially with trans women in sports. Uh, Is because a lot of our patriarchal assumptions about male superiority and the division of men and women is is so baked into the way we think about sports that it has been made completely invisible. People assume that the only way to segregate on sports is between men and women, and that like men- women will always inherently be the losers, they'll always inherently be weaker, they'll always inherently be lesser, and that this division is out of protection for, for women, which itself is coming out of very colonialist thinking about the yeah. colonialist project of we need to separate men and women, protect the white woman from the dangerous people of color from black people that were you know dehumanizing in things like that uh which is also why you'll see a lot of like not just trans women but trans women of color and black women just generally get excluded characters. from get, yeah exactly get excluded cis from sports
2: woman who was kicked out of several sports solely because she had a higher testosterone account than a, a cis white woman even a, though she is a cisgendered black woman
3: exactly exactly showcasing how the womanhood that they're protecting is not it's like just, cis it's white womanhood White yes, womanhood. Exactly. It's, it's trying to define that as the only version of womanhood that is valid. And but it's so baked into the assumption of how we do sports that it's been made invisible. So people will will use sports as like the like, oh, well, this is where the line is for trans people. And it's like, no, what we need to do, the answer to the question of do we include trans people in sports is not to exclude trans people it's not even to try to find ways to include trans women in women's sports it's to rethink the entire way we think about like segregating in sports in general and what is fairness actually what why do we segregate based on men and women why don't we segregate on weight class or leg length whatever there's different things for different sports i'm sure sh- i'm sure that there are experts in those fields i can talk more specifically well,
2: as somebody who has a degree in science a several yeah. degree in science and mathematics yeah it does make to do it off of just weight class mm-hmm. as, uh, alone itself because you know there is several studies that prove that somebody who, the only reason that um a lot of these uh cis men in this patriarchal society see men as like a dominant um force is solely because of the fact that in a lot of instances due to not necessarily a sexual dimorphism but solely because of the fact that in our patriarchal society women are seen as not to uh pursue something that is about physicality mm-hmm women can be equally as powerful as men. And in many instances, in in some cases, women are stronger than men in some sports. Mm And that's not really talked about. And I see that as kind of like, it kind of defeats this cis-heteronormative slash uh, right-leaning point of trans women not being in sports because we have seen via not just the Olympics, but several other sports where trans women are allowed and we have a disadvantage solely because like we have that very that somewhat slightly or bone density or you know our height is is higher Mm-hmm. and it leads to a disadvantage so you don't see trans women winning a lot of these sports solely because like hey nature is basically saying like you're not going to be the expert in the or not expert the pinnacle of uh this sport solely because you identify as woman and solely because you take estrogen it doesn't mean you're going to be better than someone solely because you went through a supposed masculine um uh, puberty science does this claim that trans women are supposedly uh superior in all regards uh all regards to a cis woman in sports. But on top of that, like it, it's a lose-lose situation because even though we don't have like even though science says uh trans women aren't better than cis women in sports, we're even being excluded from things like um beauty pageants, where they say it's not fair for a trans woman to participate in that same uh battle.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, ex- exactly. It it just like again, it goes to Oh, God. Yeah, it's it, this is why I think trans women sports is such an important issue because it's it's honestly a microcosm of a lot of the issues that we talk about generally. But because it is it, number one is a microcosm, and number two, a lot of the like patriarchal assumptions we have and and white supremacist assumptions that we have based in our society um, are are made invisible in sports through the sort of like idea of like biological advantage and and like da 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 da. da. Uh, I think it, it's such an important battleground uh, to to get it right. And unfortunately, I I just don't see the discourse uh, doing that really well, because I even see like, you know, well-meaning trans people speaking on this issue who 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 are sort of still falling into these assumptions of being like, well, I think that there's you know, this is an area where I do understand, you know, this this argumentation It's like, no, we need to we need to be more nuanced. About this, but unfortunately, I think just that's an area where, like these assumptions, where we where we can articulate it better in a sort of societal context about these assumptions about society. Sports is an area where they've just been made completely invisible, um, based on like the the uh, basic assumption that men and women should be segregated. Um, in sports, um, and that men and women's sports should be separated, um, by by having that already taken as an implicit assumption, it sort of lays the basis for all of these more, you know, right wing and white supremacist and colonialist narratives to take root, and fascist narratives to take root.
1: Yeah, and I think that's um, I I think that's a really good point what you're saying about well-meaning liberals and well-meaning trans people also gravitating to some of these these issues in these mm-hmm. you know these niche categories, and I think that's really the point, right? That's why people on the far right take things like uh, trans people in sports, or they take things like puberty block blockers for. For people under the age of 18, they take these issues specifically because they know that they can grab a hold of certain people from a more liberal bend and use that more broadly to erode away uh, trans yep. rights and attitudes towards trans people.
3: Yep, exactly. Because it's all based on, you know, this sort of neoliberal project, right? Of, you know, we it, it's sort of like... The idea that uh, we sort of have to fit everyone into this sort of capitalist mold of like, you know, the men and women together, 2.5 children. We need to have this sort of family values. Um, we need to have man being the, you know, the protector. They go out to work and sort of like they get to make all the money that they, they need to and they have to pay for the women. Um, and, and it sort of like reinforces this men as stronger, women as weaker. And then, you know, sort of dehumanize the, a labor class that is often racialized through like being black or you know things like that um whoever they need to sort of have this sort of the like working class that doesn't get seen as human or deserving of pay um it's sort of like it's like that entire project that is worked up that dovetails nicely with fascism because fascism itself is sort of based on this cult of manhood cult of death cult of competition and fighting between each other and isolation from each other um, and constantly needing to find an out group to to sort of you know sort of push out to demonize in order to fuel the constant need for competition and war and death There's Um, always a
4: more pure version of the pure
3: exactly and so it's a it's 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 why these uh it, it is why these rhetoric sort of like cut across so much of uh our society today from far right spaces all the way into liberal spaces is because the sort of capitalist mindset and the neoliberal mindset, um, which is almost they're almost like pseudonyms are not pseudonyms, uh, synonyms, um is uh is so ingrained in our brains. Like, even me, like, I still find like, you know, these sort of capitalist assumptions uh, that are so baked into how I think about the world and think about my life that uh, we need to really, really break down. I mean, like, for example, like, I'm a workaholic. I'm a workaholic because I view any time that I take to rest. And to like play a video game, I get stressed out because like, well, I could be working on a video right now. Yeah, you feel, the feel guilty
1: about all the work you think you should be doing in that moment. Yeah, exactly.
3: I <laughs> yep. And it's just it's it's baked into our brain because we've been indoctrinated with it since childhood. If you're talking about grooming, talk about, you know, the grooming of a capitalist mindset, in people. So.
4: And it's a ceaseless effort too. whenever you have big projects in your minds like combating transphobia. And then the way that you do by sinking your teeth right into some of this content that's just vile and vitriolic
3: hmm it's, uh, it's, it's
4: helpful having a voice there alongside to cope with and deal with and rationalize you know mm-hmm. uh, it's been a, a big help to me like one of the things that i had seen in your videos that i was at first kind of like oh do we need to make a big deal out of it was the harry potter thing and i was like mm-hmm. uh we we can get back to the star trek stuff right but I see like now like yeah there's been impact you know from from that and you took the brunt of some of that from what i i saw from your online discourse that people just made target if you had a firm but you took that and there's an impact there's a visible impact
1: to it yeah. Yeah. Even, even from some people like nominally on the left yes nominally
3: well yeah i i won't i won't name names uh but like i could name a few the, the, no yeah, sorry if, if, if you want to i'll let you uh <laughs> but uh but for me the the issue Issue, the issue with a lot of that stuff was, is that again, they sort of like created the straw man version of me. If you go back and watch my Harry Potter video, the argument that I make is that, like, you know we should like of course we don't buy we don't support the harry potter game and it wasn't even i was like calling for a boycott i was just sort of saying if we want to actually fight for trans people that needs to just be a given and we need to actually say we need to show up to do these other things there's much more things that i care much more about people showing up for about like fighting for trans rights protesting fighting fascism doing that's what i really care about so honestly the argument that i make and i have to say it quite clearly i could care so little about boycotting harry potter I, I it's an, I, I'm making this video because I want to explain it and I think it's an area where people are going to be able to understand this. but my end point wasn't like let's all right, and now we go boycott Harry Potter because what that what that call does if if I if I my end Dumont, my end call to action is go boycott Harry Potter it's it ends the cathar it ends the like the uh, 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 praxis at doing nothing. It's asking people yeah. to do nothing. It's asking you to not go and buy a thing. Right. That's not where I want your action to go to. I want your action to be like, look at all of this horrible shit. Evaluate and it. And yeah. And, and and go and realize you need to go out and fight for it. And the narrative that got spun about me is the one that sort of tried to frame me in a, uh, again, this sort of like neoliberalist capitalist project of Jesse's calling for a boycott. Jesse's calling you to not play Harry Potter. She's trying to take Harry Potter away from you as if like buying a thing is is the implicit assumption and like I am asking and I'm taking something away from you when actually the action is you going to buy the thing. And so I got viewed as the bully trying to take away something from somebody uh, because buying things, participating in capitalism is seen as the thing you have to do and by me saying like, you know, you know, don't buy this thing was sort of like seen as the the thing that people were angry at me for when actually that wasn't even the thing that I even gave a shit about. But it's the thing that people care the most about because they. Only viewed, uh, they only view th- uh, participation in anti-trans work as like not buying something or buying something, mm-hmm. um, and and it and it constantly recreates these narratives around trans people being the bullies, trans people being angry, trans people making us all look bad. Uh, was another one that I saw coming out there, and and it's like you're not even listening to what I have to say. In fact, I know quite literally. Uh one of the people whose name I won't know, I messaged this person. And this person like said, I watched the video and I disagree. And I'm like, Well, what did you disagree with? And he's like, Well, I don't think we should uh boycott the the thing. And I'm like, So you didn't watch the video then? <laughs> uh so listen I, closely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh I have I have a feeling this person did not watch the video and just said that they did. Mm-hmm. Um uh anywho, uh again, not trying to name names. Um it just because again it just sort of like frames me in that that it just it constantly frames trans people in that like mindset of capitalism um and and constantly seeing it this way and uh, i could go into a whole other thing cuz there was also like the hashtag stuff with the Brianna gay thing that also happened that sort of was an outgrowth of that that sort of like again framed me as the bully for like saying hey maybe we listen to black people and the assumption was like oh you're trying to take away from this girl's death and i'm like no it would have been a two section two second thing to listen. Did you not hear this story? <laughs> I see people having questions. On that story. Yeah,
1: I please. Um, can you story. can can you um, start from? Yeah, start from yeah. the
3: I'll, I'll I'll explain this one. This might this might get me flack from a certain spaces, but screw it. I'll I I will stand by my point here. Um,
2: As the uh, black trans woman pope, I I, I need to hear this.
3: <laughs> so uh, so okay, I'll try and give the best uh example here. So after uh Brianna, I. I polities I can ever pronounce last names, Brennan Gee. Uh okay. she was the white trans uh teen in uh the UK who was murdered. And it was absolutely horrific and awful and absolutely disgusting. And it got a lot of outrage as it should. Um and I can have a- another discussion about how that sort of mirrors stuff like uh, you know, like, you know, um, the murder of gay teens in the 80s and 90s and how that sort of galvanized people was like, oh, it can happen here, too. It's like, well, black trans women and uh, black gay folks are dying all the time. You didn't care that. But when it happens to like a like a kid living in the suburbs, um, you care. And not to say that it should happen there, too. It is absolutely awful that a transgender teenager happened, but it's like people care because it's a white.
2: Teen, as opposed yeah. to black people who but who's yeah. lived it yeah i know
3: yeah exactly so anyways that's that's a se- kind of separate discussion of this but anyways brianna was murdered and it was absolutely horrible and people were rightfully upset and and taking to you like calling it out um and how like people were dead naming her um in in news reports and things like that and um one of the things that people were using to fight back against this was um hashtag uh say her name Which was a uh, hashtag movement that was quite literally started by Black Lives Matters activists in the United States um, to call for call for hearing the names of black women, including black trans women. Um, But it was specifically for black women. And it wasn't like a thing that just sprung up naturally. Like people would argue that it's just like, oh, people just started using that. hashtag. like, no, no, it was a coordinated movement by people who created that hashtag and that slogan to fight for black women. And when Brianna died, white people started using that hashtag uh, for her, and there wasn't even a conversation about it. It wasn't even there wasn't even a discussion of whether whether it should happen. People were using like rest in power, say her name, and it, it spoke to something that uh, white people. And I say this as a white person. White people often do is we take tools that were specifically being built for uh, marginalized groups like black people and, and use them for ourselves. And yeah, and use lot. them and use them for our own terms. And the issue and the issue isn't, uh, and, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but from talking with friends of mine, the, the the issue isn't necessarily that you can never use these tools to fight for like trans white people or anything like that. But it's that there needs to be a discussion with the black community about whether or yes. not these things are appropriate. And the discussion never happened. It never it never happens. It just gets taken Ooh. and used yes, to the point where true. like you see words like like woke was a black activist phrase that then got co-opted by white people using the term. Uh, and then just because it kept diluting the message more and more, has now become a right-wing talking point that just means yes. things that liberals do. Uh, so, uh, Well, a
2: good point for this, though, too, is a know. lot of the vernacular that's used today, especially in the queer community, comes from black queer people. Mm-hmm. So to use the word fam, which mm-hmm. is... In, in England, they they use fam quite a bit, and to me, I use it because it's a uh, gender-inclusive way of saying, like, friend. It's not like, I'll be like, hey, fam, you need to do this. It's better than being, it's better than saying, like, hey, sir, can you do this? Because I don't know what fucking gender this person utilizes. So mm-hmm. if I were to say, hey, sir, because I hate it when people say that to me, I will always say, hey, fam, can you do this? And... I'm seeing that more and more in, like, white spaces, and Mm -hmm. I don't think a lot of people recognize that, but to me, that's okay, because in this instance, it is inclusive, and there are lots of Black queer folk who are gender nonconforming or might Mm -hmm. be transgender, but when you see stuff like that, like, say her name started for the Breonna Taylor stuff, Mm -hmm. several other black women. And as somebody who has literally had people, so I'm considered like a trans mom to a lot of people in several uh, Southern states. One of which told me like, hey, we're doing this protest because uh, a black trans woman was murdered and the police don't give a shit. And you're my trans mom, but on top of that, like a black trans woman is a person who is from a marginalized community who has just been murdered. We need to say, say her name how do you feel about that? And it's like, in this instance, makes a fuck ton of sense. But to hear that it's just being co-opted basically as like, yeah. hey, we use this. and Without,
3: without a conversation I, being happen- happening.
2: Like I have literally been accosted on a almost weekly, if not monthly, or I guess I should say on a monthly, if not weekly fucking basis, makes me want to fucking cut someone. Because well, it- even this morning I was accosted where somebody was like, Oh, thank you, sir, for shopping with this. Oh, please, mm. I don't tape my dick to my fucking tailbone, so you can call me sir. I grew these titties for a reason. Please call me ma'am. Oh, that's very vulgar. Fuck yourself. Like, yeah, no, exactly.
3: it's respect, respect <laughs> me, and like, actually see me, and like, yeah, it's like it's not about your comfort; it's about seeing me as who I am as a person. Um, but just yeah. to finish, just to finish this story, uh, just because you'll you'll probably be interested in this. I'm gonna uh, calm
2: myself down for a minute.
3: Yeah. Um so the so that's basically the whole backstory of all of this. So I saw this all going on and I was literally in bed still that morning that this was happening and I I was um in a Discord server with a few friends of mine um and they were and I was actually supposed to be on a live stream with a I won't say this person's name but a black content creator's live stream um that day and this person had to cancel because he's like I'm I'm too upset right now. At this situation, and I also saw my friends in the Discord server deeply upset. Um, and then I went on Twitter and I saw a lot of like Black creators that I follow also being like expressing being upset. So what I did is I just tweeted out something along the lines of like I forget the exact wording, but it was like please don't use hashtag say her name for Brianna because that is some that's basically what I said because it was a uh, it was a it was for the Black community and use something like um her name was uh brianna or like like a different hashtag yeah, i suggested
2: that makes sense to me
3: yes and i'm like yeah. i think that like that's that's it seems like a very benign yes.
2: thing to say that is incredibly reasonable yes. and I'm not not to be saying it as like some like oh it's okay like i'm not the black fucking pope but to me that makes more sense than to be like oh say her name like no like if you were to be like hey her name was brianna like yeah exa-
3: yeah the and it, it, it's just, yeah, it's just entirely, I feel it was reasonable. Again, I will not name names because it'll cause a whole thing. And I'm sure already this far will already probably cause a whole thing. And I don't care. It's fine. Again, I'll stand by my words. Um, But a certain uh streamer uh found that tweet and did a whole video on it about saying like, well, this is Jesse not caring about Brianna saying she hates, like she she's cares more about like, it cares more about clout. Then uh, then Brianna, they said, I did the tweet for clout and was just trying to get attention points and saying, like, oh, look, I'm trying to white knight for the black community. Um, and then I was also sort of like seen as a, a again, the framing of you're a bully for asking you people to like use a different hashtag. Um, and and then I started to get dogpiled uh, on Twitter by tons and tons of people getting angry at me. I saw my YouTube channel. Uh, it was the first time in a long time that I saw a dip, in like usually they give you like a graph of subscribers, dip in subscribers because this streamer has a you know shared audience. Mine is someone on the left, um, and Ooh. and people getting very very angry at me for that simple tweet and a a lot of the a a lot of the arguments were and it showcased to me how a lot of these people don't follow black people are in community with black people is arguments were like well you don't care about her uh no one no black people are saying this it's a psyop by like and they they, like like went like they went and like found these tweets of someone who originally said said this sort of thing, like, don't say, say her name. And it was like this weird account or whatever. Uh, and it's like they're trying to use that to, like, delegitimize the 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 concern. They were saying it was like a psyop done by 4chan because 4chan people were using it. I'm like the reason it, two things. The reason that it is able to be a psyop is not because that it's a a generated narrative. That, that is created is because there's an actual fracture here that they are aware of and can use because people don't yes. listen to black people. It's an already pre-existing yes. fracture that they're using to split further. And the answer is not to ignore it and just use whatever you want without listening to black media, it's to actually listen and have a conversation with each other instead of just <laughs> ignoring it. And, and but that- that
4: To engage with it instead of treating it as suspect.
3: Exactly.
2: Yeah. Well, as a black person, I want to say this in wholeheartedness, yeah. And mm-hmm. I don't want to think that it's some sort of tokenism because, you know, not to say that there's another black person, another black trans woman on this podcast, which there is, Salamander uh, Brandy. Mm-hmm. And how do I put this? As a black person, I recognize there's no Pope of, uh, pope of black people, which I've said numerous times beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree with you. I don't know who this other content creator is. I do watch a lot of YouTube uh, from other leftists. uh content creators. However, you are 100% right. Um, It is okay to use the term in the extent that like, if they were to say, hey, we recognize that we're using this for this reaction. However, let's point out the fact that this is where it came from. This is why we fucking use it. To say, hey, she's using this and she's saying this instead. Therefore, she doesn't give a shit or she's being provocative. Fuck you. Fuck that person
3: it's exactly the thing where it's like it's like it's it's not it's just it's just a, a conversation that needs to happen and no one does it because white people and again i say this as a white person um i'm not trying to like because i do oh, i've it right another now, white
2: people don't typically give a shit yeah exactly they we, like we don't i um... am a black fucking trans woman when i tell when i tell half the, the white trans women what the fuck is going on the major thing i hear nine fucking times out of ten is i've never seen that especially a white Passing trans woman will tell me like, oh, I've never like I've I've had even cis gay white women tell me like I've never run into that. Like, why are you scared? Why do you fear? Motherfucker, I have literally been like beat the fuck up over being trans mm-hmm. and black and out. Like I've been arrested over this shit. I've had police fucking tell me, like, oh, we think you're doing sex work because you're dressed too fancy. Like, fuck you. I hope you die in a fucking fire, you piece of shit.
3: Mm. And, like, the the thing that always also frustrates me about the whole situation. Come down. No, no, it's fine. Believe me, this whole situation angered me, too. The, the, the reason that I'm upset about it, uh, too, is that, like, while I faced a lot of, like, harassment and the brunt of all of that, a lot of that, it made the discourse about me. And it shouldn't yeah. be about me. It should not be about me at all. Like, it should have just been I made the tweet and it would have been one of, like, many tweets about people uh, who say, like, listen to this. Maybe we use a different hashtag or we have a conversation about it. Um, and, and, you know, I saw a lot of different people being like, well, we should use it anyways. Uh, oh, look, it's from like indigenous, it's indigenous people were using it and they found like a documentary that was made in the last few years by an indigenous creator that was called say her name. Um, but that's, that's the only evidence they have of that. And it was just like a Google search that they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and anyways, it's so like, it just, it made it about me and it made it not about the issue. And it, it ultimately all serves this economy of, again, like, individualism drama us versus them you know this leftist versus this leftist and it's like i i I hate it because it ultimately ends up feeding that sort of narrative of like we have to be in in conflict with each other instead of having conversations with each other and that also sort of props up like it being about like a now a white trans creator myself um as opposed to like listening to the black community it becomes a discourse about me rather than the issue that it should have been
1: yeah, the the YouTube algorithm hates nuance and loves drama.
3: Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. Exactly. So yeah, I uh, so yeah, I'm sure I'll get some shit about that because I've just decided to like that discourse. My um, it's one of those things that's frustrating because it becomes a point where it's like I can't really talk about it on my channel because it be, will just become more discourse and will ultimately keep feeding that drama cycle. Um, yeah. but uh, but since this is my channel, I'll talk about it more here. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, well, you don't you don't want to make the thirty eighth
1: response video to the response video to the response video exactly.
3: It just it constantly just creates a decaying feedback loop of bullshit, and it's just like I'd rather just have more pertinent conversations that are more necessary. But it's it just it sucks because it means that that conversation just gets unresolved, and also it gets allowed to just be a narrative about me that exists out there. Like I see people out there too being like they'll I get comments every once in a while now that are just like Jesse never cared about Brianna. It's like I fucking cried. And I fucking shared a video about her that someone else made. Cause I didn't have the spoons to make that video and it fucking broke my heart and it hurts me. And it angers me to see people saying that I don't care because of this discourse, but I can't say anything about it. I'm yeah. not allowed to, because if I say anything about it, if I go and make a, if I make a video, like what I, if I just made a, did a video, what about what I just said, you know, it would just become another discourse. So it's just like, I have to leave yeah. it, but it's, it's frustrating that it's just like one of those things that I can't talk about. So.
1: Yeah. It, I, I kind of get the impression. Um, I'm not a content creator. Well, I guess this is kind of content creation right here, <laughs> yeah, but I'm no, um, not, yeah, hell yeah. You are, yeah, are you? not, um, don't, don't downplay yourself. <laughs> yeah. not um, not, uh, like a big content creator that's had any real experience with that kind of drama, but it just, I get the impression that, um, once you become big enough and people start making responses to your contents, um, from their platforms, it's just kind of in the wind and you can't really grasp at it to defend yourself. Because like you said, it's just like a, it keeps cycling. Decay-
3: yeah, it just keeps cycling, keeps decaying. You just kind of have to exist with it, and it, it's it's yeah. one of those things that uh, you know I'm struggling. It's you know I've gotten to this level now where that is the case, and I kind of have to understand that I cannot control how people view me anymore. Um, you know, and, and you no, know, not that I ever really could, but when it was smaller, it's like you kind of knew your niche, and 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 people generally sort of uh you know. I could kind of gauge where people are coming at me from and I could understand like the the viewpoint that people were coming into my videos with. Um now it's like people from all over are gonna come in with their own biases, assumptions, and viewpoints, which is cool and fine. I'm here for diversity, but it does mean too that people are gonna take away different things from from my work. Um, and because my work is so specific and because I do say things that are pushing against like certain aspects that we take as assumptions in our society today, just by my existence as a trans person, it means that people are going to come into viewing me more antagonistically or come against me or things like that. And I just have to like understand that that is the case and try my best to be... Uh, explain myself as best I can which is partially why my videos are so long and <laughs> part of my own anxiety because like I could make a 30 like I feel like my like like contemporary white dude contemporaries can make shorter videos because like people will give them the benefit of the doubt when there's information left on the tape on on the table. Whereas like for me if I don't explain something the assumption will be a negative. The assumption right. will be, in, in, it'll be a negative assumption about me, not everybody, but from certain people, certainly. um. And so I have to, my videos are really long because it's like, I'm trying to make sure that I am understood as clearly as possible by, by as many people as possible, because these issues are so important to get the nuance correct. But it ultimately means that my content is sometimes more impenetrable because of its length.
4: (laughs) Your your over-explanation is your your impenetrable shield at at Mm -hmm. times, yeah. Mm -hmm. But you do seem to like always embody those core ethos and explore, like deliberate uh, on uh, those kinds of values of like the Federation, you know, just like Mm -hmm. equality and things like that. I find it extremely hopeful and uh, enriching every time that I engage with your content. So, I mean, obviously, there's tough times when, you know, it looks like everybody's struggling and things like that. But just having somebody there, even who feels those same emotions, the weight of things around, yeah. uh, it has been really, really helpful. So I, I feel that, like, a lot of people try and uh, engage with discourse in, in ways that they seem – that they, they want to grasp as being helpful, but – wind up detracting from the actual humanity of people on on platforms like yours uh, especially with all of those different viewpoints so it's great to have you just here to 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 speak with you and see you know you're you're a real human person you've got your own perspectives on it nothing that you say is like a monolith that request is
3: i'm it's not i'm not a monolith i'm not even i I, like i am always open to my viewpoints changing too like i go back and look at my videos that i made You know, even two, three years ago. And I'm like, I don't necessarily know if I agree with that anymore. And in our society wants us to sort of pigeonhole us as like, you are this thing, you believe this thing. Because again, it's sort of like making people consumable. Like Jesse believes this thing. And then, then you can like understand, you can like put me in a box and then market me out, put me in the algorithm. This is what Jesse is. Check the box. Uh, yeah. Exactly. And it's like, but no, as a human person, like I'm open to discussion. I'm open to change my mind. You know, I don't assume I'm always right. In fact, I assume that I'm going to probably be wrong in a lot of things, but I'm just a person, you know, trying my best to, to see what I, say what I'm going to say and have a conversation with people. And I always try to view it as a conversation. We view art and content Today, as a as a thing to market that you just sell to people, whether it be like a movie or whatever. It's like this is a thing that gets marketed and sold, and this is what it is. But art and creation is always a conversation. It's always a conversation between us and the art. No art piece of art is perfect because art is human and humanity is imperfect. We're just trying to figure things out and the 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 strength of human beings is the diversity that comes out of those conversations and what and what comes out of the collision of our ideas and our discussions. It's not that we are these things that just get put onto the world and just get uh, this one thing, it's that we bounce off of each other and we end up creating something greater than the whole, which is why I love Star Trek so much to bring it to what you were talking about there is because it, that Star Trek shows a future. For all of its faults, it's got many faults this franchise, but it shows a future where where we recognize that infinite diversity, infinite combinations is what makes us stronger and that the bouncing around of ideas, the bouncing out of conversations and interacting with each other makes us all stronger. And we approach each other with delight rather than assumptions of negativity, assumptions of of malice, but approach people being like, your viewpoint is valid. Let's have a conversation and delight in those differences and understand that all of us are just trying to figure this out together. And maybe one person will be more right than the other at a certain time, um, but we're going to have the conversation and listen to each other. And that's what I really love Star Trek for, is I think it it showcases, uh, it, it gives us a, a piece of art to have that conversation within. For all it's, of its faults, it has it. Um, empathetic I, um, storytelling,
1: yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wanted I wanted to say too, um uh, speaking for myself I love your long form contents because I can <laughs> tune into it while I'm at work and I can like gauge the time by that and so I was like all right I'm I'm three more Jesse gender videos away from <laughs> away one from, of these like, days it'll be out.
3: like you'll just be a whole work shift it'll be the video you put in the video <laughs> yes. it's like still good <laughs> I'm here for it
1: Jesse, it's been so great having you. Thank you for coming on here and talking with us and spending part of your day with us. It's been amazing.
3: Yeah. Thank um, you.
1: we we are we are wrapping up. Normally, when we wrap up, we ask um, a series of questions, uh, the big questions, and um, give you give you the floor for a couple minutes to answer each of them. Um, so uh, my first question for you is, um, with the difficulty and challenges that come with content creation, the, the drama, the vitriol, all of that stuff, what, what keeps you motivated to, to continue doing what you're doing?
3: I mean, stuff like this, conversations. Um, I, I am motivated, like this is an easy answer for me. It's, I'm motivated by the community of people who uh, I make content for. You know, one of the things that I, you know, talk about is I make stuff that I want to make because it speaks to me. Um, It's something that I need like when I whether it be like a Star Trek video that's uh, that, you know, I ramble on about how much I love Star Trek and the nuances in it. It's like I want to see that content out there because I don't see other people talking about Star Trek in that way or it be like the videos about like, you know, J.K. Rowling or, you know, Matt Walsh or stuff like that. It's like I feel like I need to see those out there for me to know that like I that it exists. Um, And so all of those things uh, come from a very personal place for me. Um, and the fact that by doing that, there are people who, who see it and react to it and, and find it meaningful and either learn from it or feel seen by it. Um, and then, and then share that love and, and kindness with me. Like all of you fangirling out earlier, uh, it was it, it legitimately it, like, it, it means a lot to know that these things that I make, that I spend time on, um, mean something to people and, and reach people, um, and and it's stuff that I get excited about and excited about sharing. Um, you know, like uh, without going too down far down this, but I'm working on um, my short film right now, uh, and the thing that's driving me so much with it is just like I just am so excited for this thing to exist because it's been in my brain for a long time, and it's so much fun to make it. But I just can't wait for like people to see it and and see see this this thing that I'm so excited about and, and see what they think about it um and so you know it's going to be an imperfect messy thing it's my first time doing something of that scale but i'm very excited about it um and i'll tell you off mic because it hasn't been announced yet who i have in it because i got some exciting stuff uh some exciting actors to be in it too that i'm just excited to work with so like yeah i I don't know it's just the thing that drives me is just community and and caring and and knowing that it is meaningful to people whether it be them feeling seen during this moment where we are under a genocide attempt or it just being seen as nerds and weirdo dorks you know i don't want to be i like the fact that i am seen as like not contra points or natalie Wynn or even um you know philosophy tube i think they're all great creators and great trans creators and great creators of their own right but i like the fact that i get to be a weird nerdy dork in my own sort of brand of of who i am and i think a lot of like other people resonate with instead of uh because trans people are all weirdo dorks i think for the most part uh and so i'm glad to 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 share who i am and, and that resonate with other people so yeah the easy answer is what keeps it going is community and the people who who resonate with the work that i do because i make it for you, you
4: know? it's wonderful to see your enthusiasm about these things
3: yeah i'm i'm so pumped i legitimately i'm just i i i'm so excited for like stuff that i'm making like I, I'm working on that short film. I'm working oh puppers. I see you, puppers. Um working on a short film and uh working on I'm uh, doing a Star Wars video about politics and Star Wars. That surprise it's not about Star Wars, it's about neoliberalism. Um <laughs> and uh but we're doing like animation and stuff for that. It's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun. Like I, I'm just I'm just excited. I'm excited to make things for people and it sucks that I have to make content in a, in an age where my identity and the identities of others who are even more um, marginalized than I am are under attack. Um, but I am I am privileged in the sense that I am able to create content for people who need it. Um, exactly. In those senses, so I don't, and I also don't over grandize myself too. I'm a weirdo dork. I make silly things, you know. And you know, I I I, I don't want to like put myself up on a pedestal. I just the like world needs it.
1: more weirdo dorks.
3: Exactly. Yes. I just, I get to make things, I get to make things and I'm, I'm so privileged and proud to be able to do it. And, uh, thank you everybody for making it a thing that I can do and pay my bills doing. Absolutely. Um, Athena, did you have a question?
4: Uh, no, that, that's, uh, I'm, I'm
1: plum out of questions at the moment. Okay. I, (laughs) uh, I'll, um, I'll, I'll do my next one then. Um, uh, what was my next question? Um, oh, um, so, in, in the face of everything that's happening to the the trans community and the queer community more broadly, most of it is very dour and dire. Um Is there anything for you personally that uh, keeps you hopeful?
3: Mm. i think I think it's always the fact that, like whenever you see a fascist showing up and 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 being shitty, There's the counter protest is always so much larger, like always, always, always so much larger. Um, You like quite literally see like the people in Nashville, um, you know, taking to the Nashville uh, statehouse and yelling, fuck you fascist. And it's like being very clear and articulate about what these horrible ghouls in power are doing, and using the power to like shove out two black uh, lawmakers and things like that, like doing absolutely horrific things. But they, but it, it is showing, you know, it's a line from Star Wars Andor uh, that uh, that I love to use. That power doesn't panic. Real power doesn't panic. And you see all these things like doubling down on transphobia, doubling down on hate, doubling down on, you know, like having to use more and more power over and over and over again. That's a panic move. It's because they realize that they are in the minority, that they are actually, the only thing they have is institutionalized state power, which is, you know, a form of physical violence and power that they can enact. But it is nothing to the amount of people that constantly show up and and fight for for trans people for, for every marginalized folks. So like, just if you ever need hope, just go and look at counter protests and always see that like when the like neo nazis show up or like fascisty people show up there's always like 16 of them it's always a small group and the counter protest is always so so much larger even when there are like huge mm-hmm. big ones like you know charlotte's villa he was a few years ago the counter of protest was also just as huge and that's not to say that that's not dangerous it's not scary it's not to mean that these things aren't aren't really horrifying to see and that people won't get hurt or killed or are not already being hurt or killed because of it um so i don't want to downplay that like you no know, it's not dangerous and not scary because it is but what gives me hope is remembering that our strength comes from community our strength comes from solidarity with each other and we we see that constantly showing up you know despite twitter discourses and and online nonsense when people need to show up people show up and uh it it really that gives me hope um so yeah uh, that's i think the biggest hope that i i see so
1: it's great um and so um obviously none of us are old here but we all have been doing this um transition thing for a while now um so i guess my next question would be um for uh for the generation or for people that are like just starting to come to terms with their identities or just starting down the process of transition do you have um any kind of message of uh, reassurance mm-hmm.
3: for them know the, trying to think of the best way to say it number one know that you have a family and that you have a community um who will love you and accept you fully for who you are. they we may not be right next to you hopefully we are hopefully you're surrounded physically by by people who love you and accept you and and, and want to see you go on that journey of of coming to understand yourself. Um, and share yourself with others because sharing yourself with others is a gift. Your true self with others is a true gift that you are giving to other people and it's on other people whether or not they understand the gift, that gift fully, but it's their fault that they don't see it. Um, but we may you not know, be physically around you, but there is always a family and group of people who love you and care, who care about you and will accept you for who you are and want to see you grow and become exactly who you want to be and how you want the world to see you as. So I want you to, people to know that. Um, and then the second thing that I want people to know is that find art. We live in a society. And, you know, we're talking about this whole uh, podcast. We live in a society that tries to tell people that you have to be a certain way, that you have to exist a certain way, um, and that is all done because they want you to sort of fit into these boxes to function for some larger societal goal, be it capitalism, be it corporations, be it you know the cult of death of fascism or whatever or or things like that. And so it's just trying to tell you to be a certain identity to fit into this larger you know project that they have going on. Um, but that is them trying to fit you into a mold that no human being could ever fit into. Um, And by following yourself and following your discovery of identity, you you are pushing back against these forces in our society and that takes a lot of strength and it takes a lot of effort. And so to go on this journey and to start it just speaks so amazingly of you and shows how powerful and strong you really are. So if you ever feel... Like you are are are, are, are it, things are too difficult that you're you're down or you feel like you're you're not strong enough or you're not good enough. know that you you most certainly are because you've already shown that you are willing to to understand that you, who you are as a full human being is is so much better and stronger and more beautiful than the limited imaginations of those in power. That's,
1: that's fantastic. Um, and uh, one more question this is the big big question of the big questions so prepare yourself <laughs> uh, a while back you made a video where you said Star Trek Enterprise is your favorite Star Trek series <laughs> are you prepared to answer for your crimes and <laughs> or do we need to cancel you?
3: You yeah. probably <laughs> should cancel me yeah yeah uh, no I, I will I will be very honest um, I've actually been re-watching Star Trek Enterprise lately and uh, I will say I don't necessarily think it is the best Star Trek series by a long shot. It has a lot of problems, especially being a show made during Bush era uh, by a guy who was very much clearly wanting to write for the TV show 24. Um, Again, I like Brandon Braga. He was the showrunner, but he has issues um, in terms of especially that era when he was writing. Anywho, I love Star Trek Enterprise. It was the Star Trek show that I watched week to week and grew up watching it is a fucked up show, it has definitely its problems, and easily the best Star Trek show is Star Trek Deep Space Nine, followed closely by Lower Decks. Um, so those two shows I, I think are easily the best Star Trek shows, and the ones that, you know, if, if I'm being honest, are actually my favorite Star Trek shows by a long shot. But... I do say that Star Trek Enterprise has a warm place in my heart, just because it was the one that I got to watch week to week growing up, and it was the one that I I grew up on. So, yes, is Star Trek Enterprise uh, a great Star Trek show? No, but it does have its moments. It has a few episodes here and there that are great, um, as every Star Trek show does. Um, but I I, w- I would be lying if I didn't say that it was the if I if I if I said it was my favorite or my best Star Trek show. It is my favorite in my heart, not in my head. <laughs>
1: We forgive you. No, I'm joking. Thank you. It was very, very well put. Yeah.
2: As somebody who grew up watching, like, TNG, like, I, I grew up, basically, OTS was on as, like, reruns, and TNG was mm-hmm. on, like, like I'm very old. Um, <laughs> no, uh, I grew up.
3: I grew up watching TNG and DS- Deep Space Nine on Spike TV, the Manly Man's channel. Like it was quite literally, like oh. watch. It was quite literally like their commercial was like watch Star Trek. It's the- got the men like Picard and Cisco. Look at them; they're awesome. And like, and I'm like, wow, uh, this this did not work on me in the way they expected. I think.
2: <laughs> yeah, when I when I, I, uh, Spike TV came about, when I was in the military at that point, oh, so God. yeah, that, hopefully that doesn't date me too much. However. <laughs> I grew. I grew up when Star Trek uh, TNG was basically like new. So, <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, it's fine. I mean, I was still alive. Uh, what was I? I was born in 1992, so I think that was like the last year TNG was on the air. So I think that that's you know, I I was still te- I was alive technically when TNG was still coming out. I guess technically. So. At
4: dinner time. It was right around the same time as Wheel of Fortune for the <laughs> reruns of the episodes. So I got kind of like the uh, other.
1: <laughs> I remember Wheel of Fortune. I'm so. Uh. old.
4: you
3: are not ages but this is that's that's another i mean that's a video that i want to do at some point uh it's about aging and being trans because uh you know there's there's this interesting discussion about um about like how aging relates to being trans and how queer folks generally and trans specifically have an interesting relationship to aging because we are so malleable with our bodies and there's a lamenting but also a joyousness and i also feel like Again, this is a long sidetrack, so I won't ramble too hard at you. But there's also a discussion we had that I think part of transphobia comes from like fear of aging and fear of bodies yeah. changing. Um, so I think that there's a video in there about age, and I think in the trans community we understand age is age is but a number, um, and age can be beautiful. You know, I I want it, There's a documentary in me about going to explore um, elder trans folks because I don't feel like we see enough elder trans folks in our life. So yeah, a
4: lot of uh, yeah. From the first like moments of euphoria that I felt was like one of those face applications, though, with the aging on. Mm. And I looked at it and I thought, well, I know there's my mother in there, but I also thought I could live that low.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I watched, um, I don't know if you saw The Last of Us. Um, but yes, there was, we did. Uh, yeah, the third episode <laughs> of that show is so beautiful. And I realized, the whole episode is great, but I realized one of the things that really punched me in the gut was getting to see two gay men be old, like be old yeah. and just and, yes. fu- and full of love for each other still and getting to say we get to live that full life. And I just sort of sat there realizing why that was so powerful to me. And I'm like, I want to see trans people have this because we have, I think we really, the only the only show that I can think of that features an elder trans character, and it's a very problematic show, not the least of which is for the actor who plays the character, but is transparent. Um, that's the only one that I can really think of like seeing older trans folks. And it's a very, again, very problematic. Um, and it's like, I would just really love to, to do one, like, you know, my uh, project that I want to do is like a horror film that features an older trans person, or um, uh, but not like in a scary way, but like the character just like a character happens to be older, um, and in a horror movie, um, or just like a beautiful documentary about like exploring trans people who transitioned old in at an older age or living older because we just don't see that enough, and I think we trans people need to see that we get to live that long because I don't think we really have that representation.
2: What's the name of the show? The movie that you were talking about?
3: Oh, I, I, this is a movie that I want to make next. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's yeah. it's an it's as an older right.
2: trans person who started <laughs> they're like mid to late thirties. I understand. Yeah, yeah.
3: No, I'm 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 hopeful that that's a uh, you know, like I said, I. My goal right now is to work on identities, which is my sh- my sci-fi short film right now. Uh, possibly make that a TV show because I have ideas for that being a TV show. Uh, but if that falls through or when that's finished, I want to keep making more fiction stuff. And one of the ones that I think about is like a horror film, uh, and like an autumnal horror featuring a trans trans woman, uh, an elder trans woman. So yeah, it'd be kind of fun. Yeah, because
2: we'll, we get- we'll for sure buy tickets. <laughs>
3: oh
2: yeah, I would definitely buy like several tickets and give them out because. Uh, <laughs> That's like one of the things that like really hit me for um, The Last of Us was the fact that like, you know, back in the yesterday, if you were gay or trans, like when I see the fact that we have prep now, like back in the day, Mm -hmm. I never would have imagined not living in a time where you didn't have to be fearful of dying for loving somebody that like, you just love. Like, um, Like, I remember that used to just be the thing. It's like, oh, you know, like you could contract this thing that would give you basically 10 years to live. Mm-hmm. And now I have a fucking pill that I can take on a daily basis. And uh, I've just signed up for the thing where you can do the injection form oh, where yeah. you don't have to like, it, like it's, it's mind-boggling that we live in a time where like, oh wow, I don't have to worry about dying because of somebody I love. I mean, yeah, it's weird. No, it,
3: it's 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 skewed. This is a whole other conversation we get into, but I'll just say it quickly. It's but it's 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 skewed our whole community's understanding of of age and 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 what a full yeah. life of a of a queer and trans person looks like to the point where like I see really young trans people look up to me, and I'm only thirty, um, and look up to me as like an elder trans person, and and I feel so honored by that. And I and I, I like I see get comments from like younger trans folks being like oh I like love seeing like an elder queer and I'm like I'm the elder queer uh and I understand that there's it's responsibility. weird. It? yeah it is weird but it's I think uh, number one is responsibility that I I I, I take like to heart and, and want to try and be that representation that they need and and try to be that but it also like shows me that like we've lost so many like there's an entire because of the hiv crisis in the 80s and also a lot of other things as well like stigma against lgbtq people we've lost a whole generation of of our community um and and the ones that are left from that uh you know age are also traumatized in a lot of ways too um because of having to go to funerals almost every week um and seeing all that and so i think it's 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 something that I think, you know, a lot of younger trans and queer folks, they don't get to see that timeline. I don't get to see that timeline of a full life. And so they look to me as like the elder trans person, because that's uh, sadly how far they can imagine a trans person's life being right now, because they don't have representation beyond it. Um, And so I think that that is a a responsibility I take on, but also a sad thing um, that I think we need to start showing more of.
1: Absolutely. Well, Jesse, um, we we've reached our time. We mm-hmm. are so happy that um, you came onto the show with us. This was amazing. I think I'm gonna go pester Abigail Thorne next because <laughs> I'm feeling I'm feeling confidence.
2: It's Jesse gender the, you know, the, the, sorry, I'm fangirling. I'm sorry. It's just, you know, I get it, you know, as an older trans person seeing more people, <laughs> uh, just holy shit, it's Jesse fucking gender. I want to thank you for coming on the show on the trans narrative podcast, cause like oh my god. Um, <laughs> oh, thank well, you so much. So I want to thank you for coming on the show. Um, uh, can you plug anything that you would like to plug at this moment? Well,
3: I will, I will, I will give you the quick little rundown. Uh, you can follow me at Jesse gender on YouTube. As you know, I have a secondary channel called Jesse gender after dark where I do sort of reviews of Star Trek and Star Wars as well as like random takes about stuff I've been trying to do like more short form content over there Um, I also have a podcast called Jumpgate which is a Babylon 5 podcast that I sort of talked about earlier uh, that I do with Vera Wilde it's a fun time we talk a lot about fascism uh, but in a fun way and then um, if you want to support me more directly I have a Patreon that helps pay my bills Um, going over there really does help me because that is again how I primarily pay my bills because the YouTube algorithm is crap. I'm also on Nebula, which is the streaming service that is also funding my short film identities. So hopefully be on the lookout for that short film um, in the hopefully the aim is to get it out by the end of the year. Probably more likely it's probably gonna be early next year. Um, and that'll be on Nebula and also, you know, signing up for Nebula using my link, hopefully, uh also uh supports me as well. Um so that's the the quick rundown of the way too many things I do. And then I also do writing stuff for random different sites like inverse and uh GameSpot and stuff like that. So be on the lookout for those things. about this has been an amazing conversation. Y'all are lovely. And if you ever want to have me back again, I would be honored to come back because this was an absolutely fantastic conversation. We've been going for fifteen minutes longer than I we had planned out, and I and I was sort of like when I saw the thing, I was like, Oh, two hours that seems really long.
0: I could talk for another hour with y'all. So this was great. Oh. Hey everyone! Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Trans Narrative Podcast with Jesse Gender. I'm Caroline Penny. I want to thank Lucy Balzano, Aria Lackey, and Athena Parmakis for hosting this episode today. On behalf of the passionate and dedicated team of activists and advocates on our show, we hope you enjoyed our conversation with Jesse Gender. We'll be sure to link Jesse's gender's socials and website in the description link below. Before we go, we want to remind you to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform, whether it's Apple, Audible, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google, or YouTube. And don't forget to share this podcast with your friends and family. You can also find us on transnarrativepodcast.com. That's right, transnarrativepodcast.com. And remember, the Trans Narrative Podcast, where we shift the trans narrative to more inclusive and representative space. With an emphasis on accessibility, intersectionality, inclusion, diversity, and equity, we explore a variety of topics related to the queer community. By building empathetic bonds through shared conversation and meaningful discourse, we are able to elevate often marginalized groups and bring those voices to the forefront and educate here on the Trans Narrative Podcast. Thank you so much for joining. I'm Caroline Penny. It's been a pleasure. I look forward to continuing to do this for everyone. And we'll see you soon on the next episode of the Trans Narrative Podcast. Hey everyone, if you like this episode of the Trans Narrative Podcast, be sure to subscribe, like, and follow. More importantly, share with your friends. Today's episode was recorded on April 8th, 2023 via Zoom. Today's show was hosted by Arya Lackey, Lucy Balzano, and Athena Permacus. Today's guest was Jesse Jinder. The Trans Narrative Podcast was created by Caroline Penny. This program was co-produced by Athena Permacus, Mar Newell, and Noah Buchanan. This episode was edited, directed, and produced by Caroline Penny. Research provided by Athena Promakis, Caroline Penny, and Mara Newell. Music provided by Gamma Sky is titled Get Up Again. The music you hear now has been created and produced by Athena Promakis. This episode of the Trans Narrative Podcast was brought to you by Spotify for Podcasters, the easiest way to upload a podcast. Thank you for supporting this show. For more details about this episode, go to the description link below. You can find us wherever you get your podcast, now available on YouTube. Subscription for exclusive content available. Be sure to go to anchor.fm slash narrative. Transnarrative. You can find us now at transnarrativepodcast.com. That's transnarrativepodcast.com. If you'd like to reach out to learn more or be a guest or are looking to get involved with the show, email us at transnarrativepodcast at gmail.com. That's transnarrativepodcast at gmail.com.